Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. I want to welcome everybody to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. I've got Bryce Canfield and Andrew Slutsky from GoodRx on the line. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Uh, doing great. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. So I'm going to give a little bit of context about the, the podcast here. We are really inspired to do this by the fact that we have a healthcare system that's uh, pretty much non-functional and you know, continues to drive costs up at you know, multiples of traditional uh, inflation. And so what we're looking to do here on this show is, is uh, you know, talk with people like you guys who are you know, doing interesting things in the marketplace and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their, their employees. Make sense? Got it. Absolutely. For our listeners here, I'm going to read a brief bio for our guests, and then we'll get started. Bryce Canfield currently serves as Vice President of Business Development for GoodRx. In his role, Bryce oversees all business development and growth efforts within the GoodRx for Benefits Division. Earlier in his career, Bryce worked with HealthNet of California, as well as Keenan & Associates, where he was the lead consultant working with various public entities in Southern California. After leaving Keenan, Bryce spent the next eight years in various account management and client development roles within OptumRx, working exclusively with large national account clients, including Apple, Oracle, Cisco, Nike, and Principal Financial Group. Bryce holds a bachelor's degree in accounting and economics from the University of Kansas and is currently working on his MBA at the USC Marshall School of Business. Andrew Slutsky currently serves as general manager for GoodRx. Andrew oversees marketing, business development, and network relationships for GoodRx Consumer. He was an early employee at GoodRx and previously managed the GoodRx for Benefits business. Andrew holds a bachelor's degree in political science from Amherst College. All right, guys, did I get did I get that all right? You did. I, I think I've I've decided now that Bryce has a much more impressive uh, background than I do. So yeah, <laughs> that's and that's that's exactly correct. So we are on point. I made up half of that. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew, you just need to expand yours a little bit. You're good to go. Yeah, there we go. I'm working on it <laughs> daily. All right. So hey, guys, let's start this interview at the macro level here, and then we'll get into the GoodRx product. One of the major problems with, with prescription drugs is, is that the cost is just not transparent to employers who are, are purchasing drugs through PBMs uh, or consumers. And PBMs generally like to talk about drug pricing and uh, with employers in terms of discounts off of average wholesale price, which is essentially a fictional benchmark that, that doesn't really have a lot to do with what they actually pay for the, the cost of drugs. So in your opinion, and, and, and either of you can answer, what do you think is wrong with the prescription drug component of healthcare? And why is it so hard to get price transparency with prescription drugs? Well, yeah, Michael, uh, great question. But transparency, I think, is kind of funny these days because it really depends on who you ask. Recently, the, uh, the CEO of Express Scripts, I believe he was on a uh, CBS morning show just the other day, and he talked a lot about transparency and what Express Scripts is doing to provide more transparency to their clients and the high level of transparency that they provide today. But then if you were to ask someone else, obviously that opinion might change. And I think that with consumers, uh, that's where it gets a little bit even more foggy. But I think the largest problem, healthcare today specific to prescription medications and uh, the problem with pricing that you had mentioned, really the lack of consumerism. I think that any industry would probably operate in the exact same way 
that the healthcare industry operated if it weren't for the fact that consumers were out there asking questions. And, you know, if we're shopping for a car, if we're shopping for a home, whatever the case might be, we are online. We're, you know, comparing different locations and uh, different organizations, finding the best price. Uh, we do a lot more homework these days. And I'd say in the last 20 years, now that we're, we're actually getting online to do this, we've become much, much better at it. We've become great consumers and, you know, we're using tools such as Amazon or Expedia or something along those lines. But that just does not happen with most of healthcare, I would say. I think the problem is, is that first we have to do is become better consumers. We have to start asking those questions. And it just makes sense from an economic standpoint that, you know, if you are the one business that's charging $100 for a product here, while your competitor down the street is charging $20 for the same product, if people start to uncover that, they start asking questions, they start getting that pricing information before making the purchase, then prices would have to start leveling out. It just makes sense because the, um, the more expensive option just could not exist in the market. I'll tack on to the end of that statement that I think also people have been trained poorly in this segment. You know, I think we had a lot of years of, of copayment was the norm across pharmacy, across medical. You know, there was a shielding from consumers um, to even think that way. Don't, don't, don't think about it. It's the same price everywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. As we know now, that was largely false. I mean, for those consumers with the copayment, they didn't have to think about it. But we know that there were big price, price fluctuations going on. And I think right now we're working our way back from that mindset that I think most Americans still have. I think that's a great point, Andrew, that, you know, for the most part, consumers have been shielded from this information. And if you were to ask most people if they knew that the price for prescription drugs varied at, at different pharmacies, I think a lot of them wouldn't know that because they're so, they're so used to, well, what's my responsibility? Well, if you're on a copay plan, you know, your responsibility is whatever the copay is, regardless of what the actual cost of the drug is. So I, th I think that 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 is a good kind of transition to you know your the GoodRx product um, company was launched in 2011 and is a fairly new company. So um, would one of you guys just tell us the story of, of how the company was started and, and what the original purpose was? You said the company was launched in 2011. It was a very much um, personal mission for um, one of our co-founders, Doug, who literally had the experience of he was. Um, in between healthcare, uh, health insurance for a short period of time and walked into a couple different pharmacies and he's kind of like a self-reported cheap guy. And so he went to one pharmacy and, and the pharmacist said, you know, it's going to be 300 bucks. He thought to himself, well, that's a, that's a lot for my drug. I, I, I've always had a copay before, you know, that I should, I should, I guess I should price shop this. I don't know. So he went to another pharmacy and it was like $400 and went to a third pharmacy and it was 450. And he said, I'm not buying it here because I've uncovered that this is the most expensive option. And then the pharmacist actually started to chase him out of the store saying, I can do better. I, I can do 430. I can do 420. And the <laughs> price kept dropping with every step. So he actually, I came back, our, our three co-founders were looking for a problem. So he came back and, and met with the other two and said, um, did you guys know prices vary by prescription? And they both said no. And so that kind of kicked off the mission of um, really started as kind of a fact-finding effort to see, hey, is this data available? No, we're, we're looking and we, we know where to look and how to look. And, um, you know, once they realized that there wasn't a really good resource out there, they said, hey, well, let's try and build one. And that sort of unearthed this complexity of how the prescription drug market works and who has the data and what, where do you get the data and 
um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of interesting things like um, in the state of New York, there's a mandate that pharmacies release prices upon asking. And um, they went to New York and, and, and tried to test this and realized that the prices were just they were like dated prices. They were like nine month old prices, but they were mandated to release them. So mm-hmm. they scratched their heads and said, you know, there has to be a better solution for this. And they started working out the problem of, you know, how do we how do we build something that is going to be helpful for consumers? Awesome. I love I love that story. Um, so from concept, you know, doing his own own price shopping, you know, what were the next steps? How did how did they get from, you know, doing the, the research to to actually, you know, building something that would be useful for consumers? Yeah, so I think that they they looked at it and they first went down this path of, you know, employers offering health insurance. Let's try and build a product that works with employers to give some price transparency. And they were, it was like, uh, it's pharmacy, so it's like, um, it's not as uh, dramatic, but there were sort of like these mad science moments. Uh, I remember at the beginning where we were like, okay, we're going to do a a triple adjudication and then we're going to show the the info from the second adjudication at the pharmacy. And, you know, we're going to use that data to try and move the person. And then we're going to try and move them into this usual customary price that's a $4 price at Walmart, but then we're going to have to manage. I mean, we were trying to like unpackage how this system worked and kind of slowly on the side, we were getting these people in the cash markets, you know, the, the folks at the PBMs in the cash markets were actually returning our calls. So we were like, we were tr- calling everyone and we were trying to get people to give us this data. And um, I think the people who were operating the PBMs in a capacity was more con- traditionally consumer facing. So helping people with a discount, um, who were cash paying consumers, like they sort of got it and they were like, Oh yeah, well, you know, here, here's how we do our pricing. And no, no one's ever asked us for this before, but sure, I guess we could, you know, look at putting this into a format that's easy to digest for consumers. That sounds pretty good. And so I think sort of that form to function, we ended up with GoRx.com at the beginning is like, this is the data that we can get our hands on. And um, Mm -hmm. this is a segment of the market that's going to play ball in terms of, you know, wanting to get some of that information out there. We were certainly not the first, but we we hit that sort of wall of data where people who are giving an employer-based benefit or an individual-based benefit were saying, we're not giving you the data. You know, it's not, you know, for X, Y, and Z reason, can't do that. And so we really went through that motion at the beginning to try and develop what we thought was going to be a product for completely uninsured individuals, just I have no benefit. And we were lucky that it morphed quickly into a world of high deductibles where this data is is broadly relevant. Because you have two tools. You have the individual uh, consumer tool and you have the other tool for employer groups. Let's start with the the GoodRx um, tool for individual consumers. How do they access it? How does it work? Give us a, just a brief description. So very similar. I mean, we, we rerun the parallels of um, Orbit's Expedia Kayak, where we are just trying to aggregate as much data as possible. And there's a lot of different types of data out there for a, what, what's typically been called a cash-paying consumer. Although, if you look at our audience, it's we, we like to consider them more of the underinsured um, p- bucket, which is just sort of translates into high deductible. So um, anyone anyone who's non-copay related is using the site, and we're pulling out cash prices across the board. So we're looking at low $4, $10 lists that are at Walmart and a lot of the grocery stores. We're looking at internal programs that the pharmacies have, like the Walmart prescription savings program. We're also looking at discount programs that are that those contracts are cut by the PBMs. So we're basically putting everything into our big pricing engine, and then we're having the engine spit out what's going to be best for the consumer. So we're looking at all those different buckets of pricing, and then we basically make a rank based on price of the different pharmacies in someone's area. And it's been quite effective. I mean, people, I think, to, to your point, 
when we launched it five years ago, we kind of thought, are people going to even know what to do with this? And it's, it's taken a, a long time for, I think, people to sort of gain the trust in the tool, as well as get their heads around the fact of, oh my God, my my drugs do cost different amounts. And you know, if I if, if GoodRx says that it's going to be $4 at Walmart, and then I walk into Walmart, it's going to be $4. So um, you know, we've had, I think we've seen our fair share of aha moments with our consumers on that side. Yeah. And, and just, just speaking of an aha moment, I mean, I've got the app on my phone and, you know, I'm looking at it right now. And so when, when I look at the, the app and I, I, you know, look up a drug, you know, I can see a couple different things. I can see, see the GoodRx coupon prices and, and cash prices at different pharmacies close to my location. And, and just my immediate observation is I'm just amazed to see the pricing differentials at various pharmacies. I mean, I saw, you know, a 50% difference on some basic um, sinus medications. And uh, I was looking for, I mean, just a common example, I, I, I did a search on uh, Lipitor. And yep. I saw a pricing differential that was 580%. It's incredible. So if I'm a consumer, and let's just say, you know, I'm, I, I don't have insurance, I'm, I'm using the app, you know, I'm using the app to, to find the, the lowest cost prescription, you know, close to me. The question that pops up for me is, um, how are you guys, because you guys aren't a pharmacy benefit manager, you're not a PBM and you're not a, um, a big retail pharmacy chain uh, like Walgreens or, or CVS. So how are you, are you negotiating the coupon and cash price for these drugs? Or are you just taking advantage of, of discounts that already exist out there? Yeah, much more of the second. Um, so we sit on top of the marketplace and we aggregate the data. And so we've gone out and we've cut uh, relationships and deals with different folks in the marketplace and in the ecosystem where they are giving us data, where we're, we're, we have a bunch of ways that we get it ourselves. But there's, um, you know, there's these relationships that we have where they're cutting these deals, they're cutting these discounts. Primarily, when I talk about that, it's, the, it's our relationships with different PBMs. And then we're aggregating that data in and we're spitting out in a way that's very easy to digest for consumers. I think, you know, it's been it sort of like that that 10% rule. When we first got started, a lot of the stuff existed. Like um, we are aggregating what's been traditionally known as pharmacy discount cards. And so um, mm-hmm. or the or the pharmacy um, in-house programs or the usual customer prices. Like these things all existed before we got to the market. I think really our aha moment was, you know, people just didn't understand it. And so we put it into a format that's easy to understand. It's bright yellow. It's kind of friendly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a quick search. It's relevant to where you are in your zip code. And we saw people taking action. Um, you know, I think it's, it's been interesting for us to see this data and sort of see that breakdown of pharmacy where it relates to, you know, how much, how much does someone need to see in terms of savings to, to make changes? You know, where does that sort of average fall? How has how convenience evolved in this market? And I think those are real factors. I mean, as, as we sort of talk about, you know, the delta between a high and a low cost pharmacy, there's a lot of convenience factor for people. And I think a lot of that is sort of coupled with a misunderstanding um, around, you know, the ease of moving a prescription. Uh, I think people think that that's very hard and that there's big barriers to that. It turns out, you know, we, we have some nice solutions that do it um, electronically where we're integrated into a benefit, but it's, it's, it's generally a phone call. And I think, you know, you see people um, not, again, not, not understanding how all this stuff works. Um, and we're, we're, we're slowly helping make it a little bit better. That last point that you mentioned, Andrew, in terms of uh, disruption, uh, back when, you know, when I was on the PBM side and the consulting side as well, 
uh, it was like the biggest fear in the world, disruption. You know, we must prevent disruption. There must be no disruption. We must be afraid of disruption. Uh, and I think that that mindset, and maybe it was right at one time, but it's a mindset we must get out of. This marketplace needs disruption. Uh, again, as consumers, if you're standing at the pharmacy counter and someone's going to charge you $100 and you know very well that even within a two or three mile radius, you could go down the road and you know save $80 the case might be, uh, disrupt, <laughs> move the script. I mean, a lot of people are just, they, they don't understand the process for moving a prescription. So maybe they hesitate. It's, it's a lack of knowledge, but I think we need to start embracing the idea of disruption. And if we're getting a bad deal at one place, you know, we're willing to move it to another place. And Michael, you had said before, you know, about being a big PBM or a, a big retail pharmacy chain in this marketplace. But, you know, as this growth that we've seen over the past six years, uh, has helped us out tremendously. So when we are in a position to negotiate a better rate for our consumers, uh, you know, right now we're getting roughly uh, six million, I believe, six million unique users to the site. Consumer Correct. rate answer. About yep, okay. exactly. Six million. Yeah. So I mean, you know, from a volume perspective, you know, um, you know, we've we've earned, I think, the consumers' trust over the past several years, and we've been doing what we can to put out a good, uh, good product in the market, and therefore, you know, we've uh, that's that's come back to us in the uh, amount of hits that we're getting every month, and. Uh, that has allowed us to to get the kind of size that we need to to get uh, uh, some great possible discounts for our consumers. Yeah, well, I, I think part of that increased utilization that you're getting is, um, you know, the the site is incredibly, or rather, the, the mobile app is incredibly easy to use, and it's it's um, uh, intuitive. And I've used it. I mean, I have you know a high deductible health plan. Uh, I have my family on it. I have a four thousand dollar deductible with a health savings account. And so when I need to pay for a script, and this has happened where, you know, we had a script that cost a couple hundred bucks, you know, I'm not going to hit that $4,000 deductible. You know, I know, I know I'm not, you know, given that, you know, my family's healthy, we just don't really go to the doctor that much. So I could, I could run it through insurance and, 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 uh, you know, pay what the negotiated reimbursement amount would be through, uh, express scripts, which is who our company uses today. Or I could look at the GoodRx coupon and see if I get it for less. And and I, I actually went through this exercise, um, and and I went with the lower GoodRx price because I knew I was going to be paying for it myself. But the problem with that was purchasing it via the the GoodRx consumer tool with that that coupon discount. It's not going to adjudicate with my plan and count towards my deductible and out of pocket max. So that's that's probably a good lead in into the, the employer tool. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how that works and how it's different than the consumer tool? Yeah. And one, one thing I would say about that scenario, and that's, that's certainly come up a lot with employers and uh, different organizations we've worked with. Um, but why wouldn't it apply to your deductible? I mean, when I first started with GoodRx, uh, again, that, that question came up early and often. But then I started to think about it. Well, if you're walking into a Walgreens or a CVS or a Rite Aid, whatever the case might be, that's an in-network pharmacy. How would you handle that situation if you walked into that pharmacy and you did not have your insurance card on you? Well, darn it, you, you know, you'd have to pay cash out of pocket. You'd take the receipt, you'd submit it, and it would be you know, reimbursed for uh, whatever amount you're eligible for reimbursement, and then it would be applied to your accumulators. The same scenario, the same situation has taken place when you walk in and use GoodRx to pay for that medication. So if you walk out, you take that same receipt and you decide to submit it, uh, we've actually asked this question of several PBMs directly, 
And there's absolutely no reason that it cannot be applied to your accumulators. It's Again, it's one of those questions that as consumers, I think we've kind of uh, made up our mind. This is kind of the way it works. But in actuality, you start digging around, you start asking a few questions, you find out that uh, uh, this could actually work in your favor. That's fascinating. And now you've you've correctly pointed out what a poor consumer of healthcare I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone does that. I, I, I figured the same way. So. Yeah, well, well, to be honest, before you move on, like, I never even considered that. And you're right. It's it would simply be, um, you know, uh, an out of network type benefit where you, you kept your receipt and you submitted it for reimbursement. But uh, the thought the thought never crossed my mind. And I guess that that goes back to, you know, something that we didn't really talk about. But what I see is one of the problems with healthcare is the complexity. I mean, sometimes it's just it's hard to make it work well. So let's let's talk about the employer tool and, you know, explain to us, you know, does it make that situation I described, does it make it easier? Yeah, I, I would say that it, it it should. I mean, that's the goal of the employer tool. One of the initial humps we kind of get over is the idea of, uh, of transparency, but I don't like to think of it as a transparency tool uh, or even a you know, simply a drug pricing tool. I think it's much more complex than that. Our employer tool is very different in many ways from the consumer tool. But I think it benefits product. It really addresses uh, two major problems, I believe, in the industry. And even though pharmacy pricing and PBM benefit information uh, is available in certain places, you can find it you know, either on their website or asking directly at the pharmacy, it's sometimes very difficult to find. And the fact is, is as we've been discussing, no one is really looking for it, unfortunately. Uh, people don't think it's necessary, unfortunately. So as a standard practice, we take the script from the doctor, we go directly to the pharmacy that's either in the lobby of the doctor's office or the one that's closest to your house or your work or whatever. Yep. Um, you know, the, the, the logic is all off. There's a lack of consumerism in the process uh, because most of us don't believe that consumerism really needs to apply to healthcare, unfortunately. But much to the surprise of patients, uh, even generic drugs can range in price, as we've discussed, by hundreds of dollars from one pharmacy to another. You've had experience with that, Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've created a, with the employer tool, we've really created a user experience, which allows the member to see all of this information, taking their benefits into account as well to find the lowest possible price in their area. The fact is, is that, you know, quite frequently, the lowest price is through your benefit. It's just people don't understand how to fully optimize those benefits. So they seek other options. Uh, the second problem is really member engagement. And I think that's one thing we've done an excellent job of addressing with the, with the benefits product. Uh, most healthcare companies are really bad when it comes to member engagement. I'm not pointing at one in particular, but just across the industry. Sure. Uh, they, you know, they generally tout engagement rates of roughly 10%. Uh, I myself have done this in the past, but that's unfortunate. It's terrible. And the major problem is the method you know, that we've really used in the past, those methods are still being used today. Given the technology background of our founders at GoodRx, they're really good about pulling people in, getting them interested. And that's easy when you have valuable information to provide. Our engagement rates are closer to 60% uh, and above. Uh, and we've seen how helping people make better decisions can drastically reduce the drug, uh, the drug spend for organizations. So I would say that the employer tool really, you know, is two missions, you know, providing all this information in one spot so you can easily make a, an informed decision, uh, but also proactive outreach um, using technology to ensure that people know about this before uh, they head to the pharmacy. Got it. So on the consumer tool, I can see different prices for a specific drug at various pharmacies. So can I do the same thing with the employer tool? 
Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're doing. So we're pulling in information from directly from the PBM, um, and it, it ties back directly to your benefit, similar to what you or similar to what a pharmacist would see if you walked into a pharmacy and you gave them your insurance card and your prescription, and they typed it into the system, and it came back with a price of exactly what you will be paying for that medication. That's what's showing up on our site. But we're sending this out to all of the pharmacies in your area. So again, just going back to the, you know, using the big three as the example, if you have a Rite Aid, a CVS, and a Walgreens within close proximity of, of where you're at at that particular moment, uh, we're getting information that is coming directly from your pharmacy insurance telling us exactly what you would pay for that medication at those three particular pharmacies and surrounding pharmacies. Uh, yeah, we're trying to make the information on our site as accurate and as up-to-date as possible, and it is going to be taking into account your benefits so you know how to maximize um, your insurance Perfect. Perfect. So, so it sounds like you guys are getting real time pharmacy pricing based on the PBM's contract with those, those, you know, local retail pharmacies. So, so that's, that's a big difference that, that traditionally I don't think people have had insight into. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Andrew, you want to keep going with this? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll hop in there. I think we've seen this sort of across the board and I think we can, we've continued to see it into good or extra benefits product where I think we, we've, I think we've done a reasonable job of talking with and working with um, some of the players in the market who are, you know, hungrier for change, trying to do things correctly. I think on the, on the side where we're getting, you know, some real time benefit, we've worked with, uh, PBM partners on that side to administer the GoodRx for Benefits program. Um, you know, we we've seen that we've seen uh, they're they're the they're the folks in the market who are hungry for change. They're they're you know when we started they were typically on the smaller end of the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, folks who were doing things in ways that we agreed with in ways that you know we thought uh, accessing their data would be effective at driving change. In some cases, that's that's not the case um, in terms of the plan design. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've really, I think, done a good job with with some of those pieces. But I think, you know, it's it's been really interesting for me to see it sort of like where what pieces of the market have sort of stepped up and what have been the reasons. Um, I think, you know, as I think all three of us could agree on, the price transparency within an, a pharmacy benefit, it's not a not a new concept. I think people have been asking for this for a really long time. And I think it was, that, again, that sort of easy to digest functionality. You know, when we were trying to court partners to work with us on the PBM side, we threw up our design and look and feel was going to be like, and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. I get how this is different than just me putting my prices onto a price list. Um, and that, that, that drives engagement. And, and that has sort of been the crux of the partnerships that we've cut and the reason that they've been successful. So it had been really interesting to see how that's, I think we're, we're sort of a far cry from having that, that universal access into people's benefits that we'd like, where that sort of PBM employer and, and GoodRx, we find that alignment. That's, I think, where we've crafted these, these programs and, and they've been extremely successful. What I'm hearing is, you know, the ability, and it sounds like you guys have some partnerships out there with, with certain PBMs, but the ability for you to get the real-time pharmacy pricing, that relies on that PBM's willingness to share the data with you. So, you know, I guess just for, for our listeners, just so, so everyone's clear, are all PBMs willing to share this information? Well, I'd say that uh, the ones that we're working with, uh, we're working with a handful at this point. I think it's really important to point out, though, I mean, we are by no means uh, anti-PBM. We, we need the PBMs to work with us. We, and we've sure. found some great relationships. And those who understand our product, they get what we're trying to do here. They've been very willing. I mean, I, 
I, I think that that's why I kind of struggle with the idea of transparency, because I think everybody kind of has a different idea of, of what precisely that means. But you know, as Andrew pointed out, I mean, you know, we've, you know, when we're, when we're paired up with a, with a PBM that is uh, willing to work with us, they understand the value that we bring to the market. It's a great partnership. It really is. I mean, they have the data that we need to make this product very successful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them get it. We've been able to create some great relationships with those PBMs. Uh, but, you know, their, their data is their commodity. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, this is, you know, what they're negotiating for every single day. Um, you know, they're trying to keep it from their competitors because it's a competitive environment, obviously. So we just need to work with them to ensure that they understand the product, that this is not you know, being put out on the GoodRx.com website for everyone. This competitive information that's going to get make its way to the competitors. Uh, it's simply information that the member would always have access to, but simply displayed on our site or simply right. sent out to them proactively using our technology. So uh, it's really kind of a, as I said, going back to what I think kind of the two pillars of the, the, the product, which actually two pillars that wouldn't make sense, it'd fall over. But the two ideas of the product on the employer side, one of them being really member engagement, just getting that information from the PBMs, sending it out. And when we have a PBM partnership, um, you know, they've been great to work with. And, you know, they've actually been very, very helpful. Just a follow-up question. Do you, do you find that, that PBMs with more of a traditional pricing structure are, are less willing to work with you guys versus PBMs with a pass-through pricing structure? I no. think, all right, maybe I'll, um, we can, we can both give that one. I, I think the answer is, as I interrupted Bryce, he's just about to say it. I think the answer is no. I think the ones who had, um, a pass through structure, I think were easier to convince at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, there was sort of no inherent conflict in their minds there. You have, of course, I can publish my prices. The, the way I do my business is, is, is not as, is not the same as the traditional ones, but I think as it's evolved, you know, Bryce's point, uh, transparency has been this sort of funny thing where I think people in healthcare who are big players have assumed that transparency is a bad thing. We've spent a lot of time trying to remind folks and educate folks on that transparency, you know, can fit very well into both a pass-through and a traditional PBM model. Um, and that that's not that having consumers have access to information and, and in a way that we can work within the frameworks that the PBM established, and that's an evolving, that that's not a bad thing for them. And that can actually yield some really good results and, and triple wins in terms of you know, PBMs, their employer clients, and, and good RX. And we've certainly seen that. Got it. I agree that it shouldn't really matter what the contract is. You know, they're essentially uh, just enabling consumers to make uh, make better decisions for themselves. Another question I have is, you know, if you look at just the the tool and what it does, I mean, it, it exposes price variation. Have you gotten any pushback from the big pharmacy chains? Because you're essentially exposing some some fairly large pricing differentials that you know, if I'm a pharmacy, I'm thinking maybe maybe it could I could lose some volume for this. Go for it, Andrew. You've had more of those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. Um, yeah, I think you know it's a it's a complicated dynamic. I think if you look at sort of any industry historically where the pricing accuracy and the transparency has gotten better, I think everyone sort of had that initial reaction of you know, how is this going to affect me? Um, you know, I think if uh, we, we like to run this parallel, but travel industry is, you know, it's, it's obviously evolved faster than the healthcare industry in terms of transparency. And there were certainly, you know, that transition away from 
you know, your travel agent who you called being the person who was dictating stuff and all the other players sort of working through that conduit into an online model. I think mm-hmm. more than anything, pharmacies have, they're getting, I think, faster caught up around this transition away from copay. I think if you sort of look at where the big retailers are right now and where they're thinking, I think they're really thinking like, this is a this has quickly evolved into a consumer driven space and that people are are acting like consumers more than ever and i think they sort of initially in that as we were sort of starting that wave and goodrx entered into the market i think initially they sort of had this gut reaction of no, I don't like transparency. You know, I, my, I like my market the way that it is. But again, we sort of sit on top of this change in the system. You know, GoodRx good being here or not, we still have consumers who no, no longer have copays and are actively looking for this information and are, you know, we're enabling and we're making it easier for a search process to happen. We're not the genesis of the search process. I mean, people are actively looking right. for information. And much like you, when you when patients go to the pharmacy and we, we see this, we, we see a big spike in usage every January. People go to the pharmacy, something's different. And I think we've had a lot of these moments for consumers over the last five years that I have a high deductible plan and I don't know what to expect. And I get that information when I go into the pharmacy and the pharmacist tells me that drug's going to be a hundred dollars. And it's like, you're, it's like people's sphincters tighten up. I can almost like, I've been there and I, I know the feeling where you're like, oh my God, what? This, this, the, my price is how much? It was $10 last week, last month. That's um, right. And, and that's, that's generating this, these queries and it's generating this interest to people to say like, okay, well, this is different. And I, I naturally look for information when that price tag goes from 10 to hundred. And, you know, I was, I was banking on, on that money for other things. You know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being a good consumer because the healthcare system is asking this of me now. And so I think the pharmacies are really starting to, I think right now and in the last year or two have really started to realize that this market is really different. And I think especially in the last year, I think that they've actually looked at us as a resource to say, like, you know, this is a central location for a lot of these price conscious consumers. You know, how do, how do we work within what GoodRx has done and within the audience that they've built to grab our share of that market, to look attractive to consumers, to use this data to think about how we change what we're doing? It's been great, actually. The retailers, I think, have been moving a lot faster on this sort of stuff than, than lots of other players and other segments of healthcare. And that, Andrew mentioned that the travel industry. I got to follow up on it because my favorite parallel for this is, or, or analogy, maybe it's you know, is, is looking at the car industry. I think that's a great example. I live in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area, you know, which means that in my, you know, in my driving radius, I probably got like seven or eight Honda dealerships around me, right? And in, you know, a Honda Civic, no matter where you go, is probably you know it's going to be the exact same price. It's going to have an MSRP of. $20,280, no matter which one of those dealerships you look at. And then you have to go down there and negotiate a better price. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, part of the reason the, op- the industry operates that way, regulation in the auto industry aside, they understand that people are going to start to shop for things before actually arriving at the dealership. You have to have flat pricing. If one of those dealerships offered the car for 40000 and the other one offered it for 20000 the $40,000 dealership would never survive in their market. They would go out of business because they're offering the exact same product for twice as much. There's going to be players in this industry that like things just the way they are. It's perfectly fine. Let's just keep that. But uh, I think a lot those individuals and those organizations are kind of coming around to the idea that this probably just isn't sustainable, especially in this day and age when we have so much technology that is available to individuals in mobile form. You can be out shopping, you can be in your car at work, wherever, and have access to a massive amount of data and analytics. 
uh, people are going to take advantage of that and they should. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, a question for an employer. If I'm an employer, why should I be interested in this tool? What's, what's the benefit going to be to me? The simple example is, you know, just going back to what we talked about before and what you'd experienced yourself with the variability of, say, a generic drug. You mentioned Lipitor before, so, you know, Atorvastatin, the generic form of Lipitor. Uh, yeah, there's still a wide range in the price. And I think for a long time, we, we've latched on to metrics that are, that are good, KPIs that, that do actually help lower net pharmacy costs but we need to take it a step further. Um, I've spoken to a lot of employers and organizations that tout these incredibly high generic utilization rates, which is good. It makes sense in the industry, considering the, the lack of brand innovation that we've seen in the last few years. A lot of the market has been going to specialty, but um, you know, pushing generics has been a, a big thing in the past decade or so, longer, but um, it's become very, very important with the increasing prices in medications that we've seen recently. But you have these incredibly high generic rates, so then you got to take it a step further. you got to ask the question, well, hang on, even though we've got 90% generic utilization, is there anything else we can do there? And the fact of the matter is, yes, there is. If a torvastatin at this pharmacy costs $100 and over at this pharmacy it costs $20, there's an $80, that's 80% savings right there. It's significant. It's, it's, it's big time. So are people utilizing the correct generic? Are they going to the correct pharmacy? Is there more they can do? Uh, just because you have a highly managed plan in place, and by highly managed, I'm talking about you know an exclusionary formulary with uh, mandatory generics and mandatory mail. Sure. Uh, there's, you know, knowing the price of these medications and being an informed consumer, you can make some really, really good decisions. So back to your question about how this impacts the employer and why they should care. You know, we, we've seen tremendous opportunity in lowering net pharmacy spend. When we go back to a, a potential client. We are telling them, this is what your net pharmacy cost is today. And based off of our assessment, we believe that you could lower it by X amount. And in this market, you know, 5% is huge and it's all relative. So if you're talking about a rather large employer, 5% could be millions and millions of dollars. But we're seeing opportunity in excess of 10% simply because, um, you know, people are not shopping and taking advantage of that discrepancy in price that you had mentioned. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add in just at the end there, um, you know, there's, there's sort of that initial cost savings, and that's certainly what we talk to employers about, because this program comes with, they pay for it, and we're, we're looking at them and helping them justify the spend against the savings, and that, that, I think that's a much easier equation for folks to do. You know, one of the things that I think we, we don't talk about as much, and, I, and we're starting to talk about it a lot more, is just around um, the adherence piece when you have this information. I think you sort of look at the healthcare space right now and employer-based insurance, I think is sort of at the center of this where a lot of the tools that are out there and a lot of the programs out there are very reactive to what's going on. It does, you know, I think PBMs self-describe themselves as not being consumer-driven companies. And well, that's good. You end up being kind of reactive to a doctor writes a script, the patient goes into the pharmacy, they get some stuff, and then some, some things happen all behind the scenes. And then at the most consumer-facing um, lever right now is a piece of paper shows up in the mail and a, and a patient may or may not read it. And so I think as you look at sort of this connected world that we have, and as that applies more to healthcare, I think the things that we sort of zone in on are, you know, the pharmacy is sort of that base level of healthcare. And we look at that piece around transparency and cost um, as it relates to a big issue, which I think is people aren't, aren't, aren't catching up fast enough with around the adherence. And, you know, if, if I'm on an employer-based health 
uh, insurance plan. And I go in and to Bryce's point, if it's hundred bucks and the worst thing possible is I just walk out of the pharmacy and say hundred bucks is too much. I don't really feel like I need my Torvastatin this week because I feel okay. Um, you know, that's a really costly proposition for the employer. And yep. um, that, that, that tends to spiral and get worse. And so as we're looking at, you know, what does it actually mean to be consumer facing within a employer based benefit? It's really multifaceted. I mean, we talk a lot about that cost savings, but we're, we're, we're in sort of our third year of running this program and, and we're starting to gather data around what does this meant in terms of adherence? What does that mean in terms of healthy populations moving forward? I think that's where we're going to see some really interesting data come out in the next couple of years. I certainly see the, the opportunity for employer savings, you know, just from, from the consumerism that's, that's being inserted into, you know, the, the, the employee behavior, but um, you know, any, any tool like this, I can see the value of it, but that's largely going to be determined at least from a financial standpoint by the, the participation and an engagement. And so you mentioned the, the engagement rates, you know, early in the conversation, talk about how you guys are getting people to, you know, engage with the tool and use it and get such high engagement rates, you know, relative to a traditional, uh, you know, fully insured carrier or, or, uh, you know, traditional PBM. I'd say one thing we've got going for us is the fact that the baseline was set so incredibly low. <laughs> I mean, we look at the, we look at the current engagement rates. I mean, somebody puts up a funnel slide and says, "Here's your eligible population. Here's the population that you know this, where this has actually worked." Uh, you're talking about a very small percentage of the population. The dollars are big, so you think to yourself, "Well, that's good. You know, at least we're we're, we're doing that in terms of savings." Uh, but this is terrible. And again, you know, having such a low baseline, I think, goes back to how we are reaching out to individuals. If you get a letter in the mail every six months and you're anything like me and it comes from an insurance company, not a bill, thank goodness it gets put in my inbox for that type of mail, which is essentially my trash can or the shred box or whatever it might be. I mean, you know, people just don't have time. That's not how we absorb content these days. And I think that, you know, one thing that our founders have been fantastic at is understanding how the average consumer these days uh, does absorb content. And they, you know, have their backgrounds from Yahoo, Facebook, some other places where this, you know, really um, came into play in what they were creating. And I think it's just as important here. We've used technology to ensure that we are reaching out to individuals and helping them shop for medication in the exact same way that they price shop everything else in their lives, um, which is electronically. Our, our tool is optimized for mobile because we know that the majority of, of web traffic these days takes place on your phone. Doesn't usually even happen through an app. You know, you get something mm-hmm. in an email, you click on the link, and the next thing you know, you're on a mobile website. So these are all things that we take into account and ensure that the messaging that we're sending out to individuals is right in line with, with the way, again, that they want to receive this type of information. And for that reason, they're better able and they're more willing to take part in our recommendations. It's very much consistency of message. And so where we have this initial period where people are getting used to the tools, they're, they're proactively signing up for stuff because we're doing a good job of educating them. But then over their life cycle of the year, we're, we're hitting them a lot. I mean, so we're hitting them when they take actions in an approved by the consumer patient way. And so I think you get to this point where, and you sort of see it as a, as a trickle and then more of a rush of, uh, over the course of the year where, um, you know, people are making the, the people who have sort of the lowest hanging fruit of changes where they're going to save a lot of money, do it quickly 
But then as you know, you see people, I actually have thought about it sort of the water cooler effect where we're, get, we're sending people emails, we're making recommendations to them. And then over time, you sort of see this building momentum of trust with people and they start to make change within an employer population. Our, our sort of hope is that like, that's because, you know, one person has a good experience and then they tell their office mate and, um, you know, it, it kind of grows from there. But, um, you know, we're not doing that sort of one-off, like the price point, we're not sending the one-off letter. We're not saying to this patient, hey, you know, here's this one recommendation you can do. You know, we're saying you're on this maintenance medication and, hey, we're just reminding you, we saw that you shopped for it last week, which you did the month before. And, you know, there's a pharmacy switch that you can make that would save you money. And, you know, we understand that, you know, this is, it's a sort of soft recommendation to say like, you know, just because you haven't made that shift yet doesn't mean you can't. Um, and over time, you know, maybe the, the 12th time that we remind a person in sort of that soft manner within, um, you know, they actually get up and, and make that shift. But it's sort of that consistency of message and that sort of building trust within a, a, a patient population where we see that maximum change taking effect. Great. And I think you touched on something and I, I want to get a little bit into the weeds here. You're sending really customized messaging to people, you know, that's relevant to their particular situation. So it's not a generic message. It's, and I would imagine that you're able to do that because you're taking a historical, uh, you know, claims file feed where you can see what drugs people are actually taking. Uh, and that allows you to send customized messaging. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And we're also on the employer. So I'm just speaking to the, the employer product here. But comparing that historical information um, with the information that we have in real time is key because we need to know exactly, I mean, just because somebody filled it a month ago, we need to know what the cost of that medication would be should they walk back into that same pharmacy today and fill their refill. And I think that's one thing that definitely sets us apart from our competitors uh, is the fact that we're you know, getting this accurate information so that in the event somebody took our notification and they decided to walk over to the pharmacy 15 minutes later, they would know exactly what they were going to pay. And it would be accurate and relevant information. And that's part of how we build a lot of trust with our, um, with our users. Sure. And so uh, one, one of the stats, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some information that you shared with me, you know, previously, Bryce, uh, 80% of members register and use the website, you know, within three months of the rollout. That's, that's an incredible figure. I mean, I, I think about, you know, some other mobile tools that, you know, we've presented to our clients, adoption is incredibly low. So, so how do you, how do you get 80% of members to, to download the app or, or visit the website? Yeah. I tell on the employer side, actually the 80% number is one that it kind of jumps off the page because it's an 80 and that's fantastic. But to me, that's not the most important number. That's the initial engagement rate. So yeah, once the product gets rolled out, usually, you know, we try to uh, get that out to or have the employer, get that out to their uh, employees into the membership and just let them know this is coming. Uh, people are excited to take a look, uh, but that's the initial rollout. That's the first three months. I think the most important numbers drops a little bit, but anywhere from 60 to 70% ongoing engagement. So we want people to continue. That's measured by individuals who are continuing to open our emails, click on the links, take action. I think that's most important, but once they get used to the tool and they see what it can actually do for them and that there's no strings attached, uh, it becomes invaluable to them. I have certain um, apps myself or websites I like to visit that provide you know similar information for different products. And you know once you start to figure them out, it's something that becomes kind of second nature. You want to make sure that you check your source of truth before making a big decision to ensure that you're making the right decision. And people um, start to figure it out and uh, they get good at it. 
one of the bigger things that we've done well, and I think this sort of stems from from the top in our organization, is we've tried to keep it simple. And I think when you look at sort of the healthcare tools that are out there, it's pretty complicated. And so we, we did this exercise when we were getting started in this business for, in terms of the benefits business where we looked at it and said, okay, if I'm, on, if, I'm on my, if I'm on our insurance plan, how many clicks does it take to get to the price that I'm looking for? And it was somewhere like around 18 clicks through our portal at the time. And right. so we looked and said, okay, this needs to be like two. <laughs> it needs to be easy to sign in and it needs to be in a way that people know how to digest this. And it kind of needs to be front and center for the members. And I think, you know, we're all busy. We live in, in a very digital age. And if things are complicated, people just won't do them. And they look and say, I mean, I, I'm at fault for this myself. I mean, when I, when I try and use our own health insurance, there's a lot of times where I'm looking at somebody and say, I just can't access this data. So um, I'll deal with this later. And later sort of becomes never. So I think keeping it simple has been key in terms of both getting that initial engagement and then really keeping folks engaged. Yeah, I think it all comes down to, I mean, if you think about it from like an economic standpoint, I, hopefully I've got my terminology right here, but think of someone's individual utility and how much is it actually worth to them. I mean, if we have somebody who's able to make a quick change and, you know, click on a couple of uh, uh, buttons here and there, maybe it's two or three clicks and it saves them uh, five or ten dollars, maybe they're willing to do that for five or ten dollars. But if you make it this long, complicated process, it's just not worth it to them. Maybe at a certain point, they just kind of lose interest and they, they have no interest in saving $5. But uh, sometimes the savings are going to be low. Sometimes the savings are going to be much higher. But it's a matter of making the tool as simple as possible. And you're going to get people actually taking action. Well, and I will tell you that that is my favorite part about the tool is, is the simplicity, you know, hands down. It's clear how this is, you know, easy and beneficial for an employee like me who has a high deductible health plan. What about employers who, who still have, you know, the copay structure for their prescription drug plan? Can the GoodRx tool work with that traditional structure of copays? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it becomes a little bit more difficult because I, you know, what you're alluding to, the individual at that point, the, the, the member of the patient, uh, they lose that personal benefit. Initially, you know, you say, uh, you know, you have a medication here for $100, you have one down the street for $50, but they have a $10 copay no matter where they go. But on the back end, it is affecting the employer and maybe even indirectly affecting the employee because the employer is now in a position where they could have a $40 cost share on that $50 medication, or maybe it's a $90 cost share because the employee is still just paying that $10 copay. So the employee doesn't understand that. They, they don't know. They don't see it. So what we created uh, a little while ago is uh, kind of a copay waiver program where it essentially subsidizes the copay, you get the medication for free if you switch to the most cost-effective um, pharmacy on the list. You know, you, you help your employer out, and therefore they uh, they subsidize the copay. And it works out really well. I mean, it's it's a great way to transfer people or people over, and the employer does pick up the cost of that copay, but the overall savings is far greater to the employer than you know the, the one-time copay payment. And this is also a good thing for the employee because, as I said, you know, if, if people are shopping for medications and, you know, they're doing so without a full understanding of what that cost is and the cost back to their employer, then that's when you get to the end of the plan year and the employer is talking about how much healthcare costs have gone up. Uh, they've skyrocketed. Therefore, the, maybe the um, uh, employer contribution is going down. Premiums are going up. Deductibles are going up. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, we need to infuse more consumerism into this process. And that can happen even when you have a flat dollar copay in place. 
Absolutely. So I, so, so there is an incentive there, you know, the, the copay waiver structure that, uh, that can be used. It's great. Guys, we haven't talked about price or, or cost for your service. So if an employer is interested in this, how does it work? Well, the first thing we usually do is take a look at claims data. So I guess that would be one important thing to point out is that an ideal prospect or a client for us uh, would be self-funded because that allows us to look at the claims data and determine what savings opportunities uh, exist. So we'll take in a claims file and we'll dissect that and we'll do a full analysis just to see, you know, perform kind of a, a savings analysis similar to what you might get from a PBM uh, when you're going through the RFP process. And this allows us, as I said, to uh, see what different opportunities might exist. So based off of that information, uh, if it's, uh, you know, if there's very little opportunity, maybe the plan is highly managed and everybody's doing everything right. There's not much for us to do. Uh, that's one side of the spectrum. Maybe there's all types of opportunity and they, they have a lot of opportunity to save on medications. That's on another side. But uh, depending on what it comes back with and the amount of work, the amount of savings we believe we're able to generate and we take a conservative approach to that, uh, then we'll go back usually with a PMPM fee. And last year, from an ROI perspective, our ROIs ranged from uh, 6 to 1 to 14 to 1, but on average, uh, pretty darn high. So we make sure that our fees are very much in line with um, or greatly exceed the savings potential. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to the workload and, and depending on the PBM they're using, what we're going to have to build out from a pipeline perspective, uh, what kind of technology we assume sure. need to be built out. So. There's those factors that go into it, but we make sure that the, um, the, the the pricing is definitely relative to the savings and appropriate. And and on an ongoing basis, you'll be able to measure that, correct? I mean, you, you'll be able to to look at you know data on an annual basis to say, you know, hey, you know, these are some of the decisions that people made using the tool that resulted in lower costs for you, the employer, correct? Yeah, and that's the beauty of having a tool that's based on technology or that really is powered by technology. Uh, in the past, any, any type of uh, clinical programs, health and well, welfare programs, a lot of it relies on mail and um, you know, actions not taking place are considered to be savings that have taken place. So it becomes very difficult to measure. But with us, we know when you, know, you can see that somebody's clicked on an email, they've clicked on a link, they've come to our site, they've navigated to this page. It's very, very easy to um, uh, measure behavior and the different actions that take place and the different actions that members take. So yeah, we're able to account for all of that. And then we look at the claims data and we're able to tie that back to what's taken place. And it, it's very easy to measure and uh, report back savings to to one of our clients. Do you guys have any competitors out there that are doing you know similar things? New competitors are really popping on the radar all the time for the B2B business. Uh, it's a newer industry. Um, I would say there's probably... Two in particular, I see more often than not on a regular basis, but their models are slightly different than ours. And, you know, I'm biased, but I think ours is the best one out there. But yeah, there's slightly different models. One competitor, I would say, well, I'm not going to go into the details of our competitors, but yeah, let's say yep. that, uh, it's, it's, it's a growing industry and it's kind of a, a new product that we do have out there. And uh, it's, it's one that's luckily the market is kind of open. So it's not as if it becomes a very, very competitive situation on all of the prospects that we're trying to pursue. Uh, every once in a while we, we bump into them, but quite frankly, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're out there. Um, I, I like that this is growing and that it's getting more, uh, more press and uh, more understanding in the market. So 
Uh, if they're out there knocking on doors and we're out there knocking on doors, then I think that uh, there's more opportunity for us because people are starting to realize that this is kind of the way the market is heading. This is an opportunity that's out there to help um, uh, individuals save and, as Andrew said, help to increase adherence. So there's clinical benefit as well. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, more competitors coming to the market, but it's, um, you know, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We're all kind of shooting for the same goals. And for that, I respect them. Awesome. Yeah, I think competition is is uh, is great for the marketplace for sure. So um, I want to be respectful of uh, your guys' time. I think we've we've run over a little bit here. Before I close here, is is there anything new you guys are working on, or anything you're you're really excited about now in, in the business that, uh, that you want to share with the audience? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think w- one thing that I'm particularly excited about is I think we're starting to see. Um, this consumerism kind of drilled down across the board. And I think we've seen it in, in a lot of facets, except for the pharma manufacturers. And I think we've actually seen some programs that have come up recently and some interest on their part to be much better direct-to-consumer players in the space. And so, well, I, I think we're working on some stuff, and I won't go into too much detail on what's coming out in the near future, but um, that is a, a piece of the market where I think, again, you sort of have these 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 big Goliaths wake up and, and really want to do stuff that's in their own their own interest, for sure, but also that aligns with the interest of the consumer and um, you're putting together the technology to do that, both in terms of a direct-to-consumer model and within our GoToRx for Benefits platform. Um, I think we're going to see some interesting stuff coming. Awesome. Well, hey, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think you guys are are doing an awesome job of uh, instigating uh, change and and uh, you know disrupting um, you know the status quo and in, in, in pharmacy transparency. I know I know you don't like that term, Bryce, but that's, that's how I see it. <laughs> I, I can live with it. <laughs> I like it when you say it. <laughs> um, all right, so. <clears throat> If, if someone's interested in the, the GoodRx for Benefits, the employer tool, uh, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you guys and learn more about the product? Well, on the employer side, definitely. Um, people like yourself, Michael. Uh, we have a, a great, um, great channels of communication, great uh, relationships with the, uh, the broker and the consultant community. And many of um, the prospects that are brought to us for more information on the product uh, definitely come through us. So plug you guys there. Definitely your your local alliance consultant or broker. Um, another way is on the website. There's definitely information about both the consumer product as well as the employer product. So uh, it's just goodrx.com. Very good. Very good. All right, guys. Hey, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, out of your schedules to to you know have a great uh, discussion. I think it's um, been insightful and and I'm, I'm sure our, our audience will appreciate it. So on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate your time. You bet, you bet. And to our, our listeners, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to the podcast and share with any of your friends and colleagues who you think would find value in the information we talk about here on the show. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. If you like what you heard here, please do subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to GoodRx's website and contact information. Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our site, including our Health Plan Innovator Scorecard, where you can see just how innovative your health plan is. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast.